Your soul is at war with lies. And you have no choice but to fight. Lies have shaped us, told us who we thought we were, held us captive. Lies from outside us, lies from within us. Truth is reality. And when we live at odds with reality, we cannot thrive. Jesus said, watch out that no one deceives you. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth can be known. The truth will set you free. It's time to take back control of our minds from their captivity to lies to liberate them with the weapon of truth. It is time to fight back in the quietness of our hearts. To stand in the truth, to live no lies. Probably every day, at some point during the day, I will pull out my phone and go to some news apps that are on my phone and uh, just to see what's happening in the world. I want to stay abreast at current events and things that are going on. Over the last couple of years, I've started to notice a little bit what happens in me as I go to open that up. Uh, I, I never go to open that up thinking, man, I bet there's going to be like just amazing, beautiful, wonderful things happening in the world. In fact, I noticed recently that I, I kind of cringe, like, like, what's going on out there? A couple of weeks ago, I opened it up and was cringing, and there was reason to cringe. There was articles about the exploitation of women and the exploitation of children and just an incredible amount of violence toward one another and just this incredible division that we see, not only in our culture, but around the world. And I was just reading that, and I just felt like my heart was breaking. But there's sometimes when I read about the things that are happening in the world that aren't that pleasant or something even worse happens. I don't feel anything at all. It just starts to feel like sometimes I'm just numb to the fact that this world is broken and that's just how it's gonna be. But it's not only what's happening out in the world that I look at once or twice a day. I've got a front row seat 24-7 to what's happening inside of my own life. I've got my own failures that I'm trying to navigate through. Sometimes the lack of love that I see in my life toward people or the lack of empathy and this incredible self-centeredness where I just feel like I'm at the center of the universe and everything is revolving around me, that kind of mindset of mine. I see by failures, not only as a leader, but as a father and as a husband. And I just think there's challenging things in the world, but I'm just as messed up. The world and me is messed up. And sometimes I just think, is it getting any better? And sometimes it just feels to me like it's, it wars on my soul. Like I just get tired of dealing with this over and over. And sometimes you just get to that place where you ask the question, why? Like, why is this going on? Why is there this endless parade seemingly of bad news and things that are happening all over the world? Why is it that there's incredible injustice in the world. And most of us, if not almost all of us, would look at that and say, that is wrong. But yet it persists. It just keeps going. 
And then, like I said, there's this war in our own lives, in our own chest, this tug of war of values and not always living out the values that we want to live out and seeing myself sometimes in these self-defeating behavior patterns. Then I'm just like, what is going on in me? And I just feel like I'm at war. Something is at war with my soul. Friends, I believe this with everything in me. If we were to just sit down with Jesus and we were to throw those why questions out at him. Jesus, why? Why can't we solve these problems? We have so much money and resource, so much technology, so much education, and it just seems like things are just getting worse. Jesus would look back at us and he would say, you've got it right. You are at war. There's a war going on for your soul. There is a war between good and evil that's happening in and around this world. And the Apostle Paul, listen to the words of the Apostle Paul because he tells us over and over as he's writing to these brand new churches that have just been launched out of the resurrection of Jesus. He uses war type language saying that if you're gonna be an all-in follower of Jesus, you're gonna have to go to war. Here's what he says, things like fight, fight the good fight of the faith. We did a whole series this spring on 2 Timothy, that very topic, how do we fight the good fight? He says, put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He says things like our struggle, our struggle in this life, this war is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. Again, he says, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. You just listen to the language of the Apostle Paul, and we can't come to any other conclusion that we are at war. There is a war between good and evil. Here's what's interesting about this language to me. It's incredibly militaristic. And that is ironic to me because this militaristic language came out of the birth of a church, out of the teachings of a rabbi that was starkly nonviolent. But yet Jesus would tell us, I believe, we have to go to war. We've got to understand the kind of war that Jesus is talking about. Because Jesus lived his life in a way that he didn't go out to try to kill his enemies. He actually allowed himself to be killed for the sake of his enemies. And as these enemies were nailing his hands to a cross, nailing his feet to the cross, he was actually pleading to the Father for them. Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Jesus was incredibly nonviolent, but he also wants us to understand that we have to go to war because there's a war for your soul. But here's what we need to understand. The war that Jesus is talking about, the war that Paul is talking about is a war that's in our mind. It's a war of ideas. It is a war of thoughts. It is a war of beliefs. It is a war between truth and lies. And this is what this series is gonna be about. Just give you a little heads up. It's gonna be about who are those enemies 
of our soul? Who is it that's trying to deceive us to believe lies instead of believe the truth? Because if we don't know who our enemy is, if we don't know who our enemies are, and we don't have any kind of strategies to fight back in this war, we're gonna be taken under. But Jesus doesn't want us to be taken under. He wants us to fight back. And that's gonna be the outline for this series. We're calling this series, Live No Lies. And some of you might know this. There's a book by John Mark Comer by that title that kind of the way he unpacks this idea is going to serve as kind of an outline for how we unpack this. And some of the content for this series will be from his book. I highly recommend it. He, he takes it way deeper than we're going to be able to do in just a handful of messages. But he's going to tell us, and Jesus is going to tell us that we've got to figure out how to fight spiritual battle. Sometimes we use the, the term spiritual warfare, now, I know, I know that there's some of you right now that you just hear those terms, and in your mind, you just thought, oh, great, buckle in. This is when it's going to get weird. It's not going to get weird at all. I understand that sometimes when we hear those terms, we think about some of these demonic encounters that we see in the New Testament, and those are very real, and they're very real today. We think about those sensational things that happened with demons, with exorcisms, in the New Testament. But what we're gonna unpack is that the bottom line, the central thing that the evil one wants to do to try to take us down is come at us with lies. Lies in place of the truth. And now our biggest problem, our problem as people is not necessarily that we tell lies, although that's, we don't wanna do that the problem for us is that we live lies and we don't even know it. We've taken these things in and we believe them to be true. And so that's what the heart of this series is, that we would live no lies. We would be able to discern lies from the truth and be able to respond. We're gonna look at a text of scripture where Jesus is engaging with some of the religious and the intellectual elite of his day. These were, these were not simple people. But he wants us to understand in this text of scripture, we need to understand who the enemy is and what his primary strategies are. And it's lies over truth. I'm gonna read a long chunk of scripture because I think it's important for you to have the whole context of what I'm gonna say before we get to the punchline that Jesus wants us to understand at the very end. John chapter eight, starting in verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then Jesus, that famous thing that he said, he says, then you will know the truth. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. And another famous saying of Jesus then comes in verse 36. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. 
I know that you are Abraham's descendants. You are, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your Father. Now, commentators will say that it's not even in a subtle way that Jesus is making a poke at them. They said that they were Abraham's father, but he said, no, he refers to another father. And so they're thinking, who is he talking about? Abraham is our father, they answered. Jesus says, but if you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. Again, he pokes them. Now they had enough, and so they poke back. And here's how they poke back. They say, we are not illegitimate children, they protested. And here's why this is a poke back. They know the history of Jesus. They know the stories surrounding his birth, the questions around Mary and Joseph. And that's why they say, we're not illegitimate children. They're saying that he is. But they protested, the only father we have is God himself. And then Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. And now here's the punchline. You belong to your father. Here it is. You belong to your father, the devil. You want to carry out your father's desires. And here's what Jesus says about the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Jesus' point in this long interaction with this group of religious leaders, intellectual leaders, is that the battle that we're in in this world is a battle between truth and lies. And our enemy, his main thing is that he wants to deceive. He wants to bring lies to us. Jesus is painting this picture that there are two kingdoms that exist in this world. There is God's kingdom that is ruled by truth. Jesus says, I am the truth and the truth will set you free. But there is another kingdom, a kingdom of the enemy. And that is a kingdom of lies. The kingdom of truth brings life and flourishing to people. The kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of the enemy brings death and destruction. C.S. Lewis said it this way about these two kingdoms. He said, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every, every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. 
It's a battle. It is a battle between good and evil. And here's what we want to do in this series. If there is a battle, we want to know our enemy. We want to know who he is and what it is that he's going to try to do so that we can fight the battle. And Jesus is telling us, again, this battle on one side and the other, it's about our mind. It is about ideas. It is about our thoughts. It is about our beliefs. He wants to bring lies. There's three things that we can look at in this text of scripture with Jesus talking about the evil one that I just want to highlight about our enemy. And the first one is this, the enemy is real. The enemy is absolutely real. You're thinking, Bob, do you really believe that? Come on. There's better explanations for all the things that we know. We got Wikipedia now. This is not a myth. This is not a superstition. This is not some kind of a cute little cartoon character with little horns and a little tail and a pitchfork. This is a real, real enemy. And he is intelligent. And he is immaterial. We can't see him. We don't always know exactly what it is that he's doing. And he's got power and influence beyond any other creature in this world except for God. And what he wants to do is he wants to twist and distort and help us not understand and know good from evil. He wants to twist it. And he is the evil force behind so much of the evil that we see in this world and honestly, the evil that we even see in our own lives. I want to highlight again, he is not in authority over God. It is, it is not God's equal and opposite. He is under authority. God has no equal. And he is a created being. So he had a beginning and he will have an end. But he chose to rebel because he wanted to grab autonomy. He wanted to be like God. And so he took a big group of also fallen creatures with him to wreak havoc in this world and to try to twist between good and evil. And here's what I need to tell you. Let's just be really, really honest. You are not immune. Even if you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, you are not immune to the schemes of the evil one at all. You are vulnerable to temptation and deceit just like anybody else. And that's why we've got to expose what are the things that are lies? What is the truth so that we know how to fight the battle of the evil one? The enemy is real. I love how C.S. Lewis said it in his screw tape letters, a, a whole book that he wrote about spiritual warfare and how demons work. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. Let me just think about it. If you don't think that they're there, you're not gonna try to learn about what their strategies are, how they're influencing you. But secondly, he says, the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, meaning the demons and the devils themselves, are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist, meaning someone that just believes in the material world, not a spiritual world, a materialist and a magician with the same delight. We're not going to fall into either one of those errors in the midst of this series. We're not going to tell you that the evil one doesn't exist because he does. 
He absolutely exists. But we're also not going to say that everything that happens in every moment of your day is the devil. He's not behind every bush in your life. You know, if you, if you didn't have your car keys this morning on your way here, and you lost, it wasn't the devil that kept you from being able to find your car keys. You just need an Apple AirTag. It's so great. It works so awesome. He exists. He's real. And we need to know how to fight him. We don't want to be unaware. We need to know that this evil force has an intent toward us. And it leads us to the second thing that Jesus wants us to understand about the evil one. The enemy's goal is to destroy. That's his goal. He wants to destroy. This summer I had the opportunity to go hiking with some family up in the northern part of Yellowstone Park. Love doing that. Had some grizzly encounters that kind of keep you up at night a little bit. You kind of wonder what all those different sounds are that you hear. But it was on our way out. We're on our way out of the mountains, and we're just walking on the trail. You're always kind of watching what's in front of you on the trail. And I looked down, and I saw this. That's a kitty cat print. Except it wasn't a kitty cat, because that thing was about this big. And I tell you what, as soon as you see that paw print, immediately what started going through my mind, just seeing the fact that this track was over the top of a lot of fresh tracks that I saw going down the trail that we knew had gone by ahead of us. So this thing was out there. It was out there and it was probably close by. And my immediate response was, I'm just thinking about every story that I've ever heard about people's encounters with mountain lions. And for whatever reason, I wish I wouldn't have remembered this, but I remember this story, this article that I read probably 20 years ago about how, the, how they, can, they just watch you. They just see what you're doing and they just watch you and they can sneak up behind you and that's how they get you. So I'm just kind of walking, doing my thing, but I'm, I'm definitely, <laughs> definitely doing this and just thinking, is he behind me? Is he behind me? Seeing that paw print made me aware. I was so aware. Well, God gives us a paw print right in the middle of Scripture. Peter gives us a, a paw print, a warning. 1 Peter 5.8, he says this. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Mind. Why is he thinking about the mind? Because he knows how the enemy is going to come at you. It's going to be lies and ideas and beliefs. Be of Sober mind. The enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring, my translation says mountain lion, because we live in Montana, a mountain lion looking for someone to devour. He wants to devour. Just, we just need to understand this. He hates you. He hates you. He wants to destroy you. He is powerful, but he can't touch God. But he can touch what matters to God, and that's us. He hates God, and so he hates what God loves. And that's why he is bent, hell-bent, literally, on trying to destroy. He wants to destroy everything that matters to God, his values and his kingdom. And this is how Jesus said it, John 10.10. 10. He says, the thief, the thief is just a, Another term for the evil one. The thief comes only 
only, this is all he's about, is to steal and kill and destroy. That's all he wants to do. That's his intent for your life. And Jesus said, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Two kingdoms, a kingdom of life and fullness or a kingdom of lies that leads to destruction. That's his intent, but how does he do it? What is it that he's going to try to do? And that's what this series is gonna be about. We want to expose and think about who is our enemy and how do we defeat? How do we fight the battle that we are called to? And the third thing that we need to know about our enemy is that the enemy's primary strategy is lies. The enemy's primary strategy is lies. Let me read the very end of that section of scripture again. This is what Jesus said about our enemy. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning. He wants to kill, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. I want to remind you one more time the context of who Jesus is talking to here. These are not simpletons. These are intellectuals. These are religious people. These are people like us, smart people, religious people, some of us, followers of Jesus, some of us. But here's what Jesus wanted us to know is that you still can be deceived. You can be lied to. A religious person can be deceived just as easily as an irreligious person. And if you're here today and you think, nah, Bob, I'm too smart for that. I wouldn't fall for that. If you think you can't be deceived, you already are. If you think that you can't be deceived, you are already deceived. Here's my invitation during this series is that we would come to a place of humility, that we would actually be humble and think, you know, maybe, just maybe, not everything that I believe is true. Maybe, just maybe, I have bought into some lies. And here's the kind of the the category of lies that the evil one is gonna come at us with. We see this in the temptation of Eve in the garden. We see this with the temptation of Jesus in the desert. He's gonna come at you in these categories. He's gonna try to deceive you about who God is. What is God like? What is his character? How does God think about you? What is God's intent for you? Those are the kinds of things he's gonna try to distort in your mind. He's gonna try to lie to you about yourself, who you are, who God says that you are, Who is it that you are created to be? He's gonna try to twist those things and tell you lies. And he's gonna try to tell you lies about what is this life really about? What makes this life full and meaningful? That's what he's gonna come at you with, those kind of lies. So here's the question that we've gotta ask ourselves. Are we humble enough? Can we please just be humble enough to actually ask ourselves the question and look at ourselves What are the lies that we're believing? Can we just humbly ask that question? What are the lies that I am believing? Because if this battle is about truth over lies, we've got to learn how to surface the things in our life that aren't true. 
And when we talk about truth, I want to just, for the sake of definition, here's what we're going to be talking about. When I say the word truth, what I'm talking about is that which corresponds to reality. Truth is what corresponds to reality. As God defines reality, we have the assumption he is the creator. He made everything. His truth is the ultimate truth. Or the things that we're believing, does it correspond to his view of reality? And maybe another way to think about reality is to think about, sometimes we use the term worldview. Or a word I'm going to probably use over and over is this idea of mental maps. Every one of us, we have mental maps that help us navigate this world. The way we think about truth. Unless we're completely crazy or psychotic, we live in terms of reality, what we believe to be true. We have mental maps. And our mental maps, we can also call beliefs. This is what we believe to be true about reality. But our beliefs, what we believe to be true about reality leads to our behaviors. We live, we live out in our body the truths that we think are true. And lastly, our behaviors create who we become. Ultimately, who we are. And you have mental maps. Every one of us has mental maps. You have mental maps about God. You have a perception in your mind about what is real about him, who he is, what his character is like, how he wants to relate to you, how he thinks about you. You have a mental map related to who God is. You have a a mental map about sexuality. What does it mean for us to live as a sexual being in this world? What is true about that? And how are we to live that out? You have a mental map. You've got a mental map about relationships and how you navigate all the kinds of relationships in your life. Mental maps about money. How do we value and think about money? Spirituality. You have mental maps about what makes this life meaningful? What makes this life purposeful? And you live in light of those maps. But here's the question that we've got to ask, and we need to continually ask, not only throughout this series, but until Jesus comes back, is are our mental maps correct? Do we have accurate mental maps? Do they actually correspond to reality as God defines reality? And now I would say, for everyone in this room, part of the answer of that is yes. There are parts of your mental map that are absolutely accurate to reality. But this is also true, I believe, of every person in this room, is that there are parts of your mental map that are wrong, that don't correspond to reality. And that's what Jesus wants us to understand. How do we learn how to surface those lies in our life, things that don't correspond to reality? Because we look around the world around us, where I started, all the things that are happening in the world, and we see things are melting down. Relationships are melting down all around us. People emotionally are melting down all around us. Politically, things are melting down all around us. And this is daily telling us over and over, people's mental maps are not right. Because if God's mental map is right, that truth leads to life and flourishing. And we are not, as a culture, we are not 
full of life and flourishing. So we've got to figure out what is wrong with our mental maps. And we've got to change that if we're going to change us, if we're going to change our church, if we're going to change the culture. It starts with beliefs. Let me just try to unpack this with, with an example why I think this is so important and so powerful. Let's just say, for example, I don't, I don't know how this lie would have taken root in someone's life, but imagine that you believe this lie that I am unlovable. I am not worthy of love. That is the lie that you're believing. How would that lead to our behaviors? What kind of behaviors would that lead to? I imagine that that would lead to behaviors that we would tend to want to isolate ourselves from people. If we don't feel like we're lovable, we're not going to move toward people. And even if we do move toward people, every piece of data that comes through our mind is going to be going through this grid of this lie that I'm not lovable. So any interaction, even if it was just innocent, could feel like a, a slight in some way because we feel like I'm not lovable. That was obviously meant to push me away. Our behaviors continue to move us away from people. We isolate. Our life gets closed off from others. And ultimately, who do we become? We become someone who is unlovable. An unreality, a lie, becomes the truth because we believed it. What a person needs to do is they need to come back here and come back to the truth that says, I am lovable. I am worthy of love, not only from God, but from people. And how is that going to shape your behaviors? How you think about all of your interactions, it's going to move you toward God and move you toward people, and you're going to become someone that's lovable. You're not going to be distant from people. But here's the problem. If we believe lies, and even if, if there's just a little bit of a twist in it, it's just a little bit off. Even if our, our map is just a little bit off, one degree over a lifetime of living out that lie moves us further and further away from who God intended us to be. We don't become who Jesus wants us to be. So friends, this is what this series is about. What are our beliefs? What is our mental map? And probably just to put it a little bit more directly, what are the things that we're believing that are not true, that don't line up with Jesus's view of reality, with his mental map. That's what this series is about. Because if you think about, if this is my mental map and this is Jesus' mental map, there's probably a way that it is some way askew. Like I don't have everything in my mind that Jesus has in his mind about all of the areas where I have mental maps. But what I do is when I realize that there are places that I'm not believing what is true. I actually start to turn my life. I start to change my life. I start to line my life up with the mental map of Jesus. And as my beliefs start to change, it'll change my behaviors and it'll change who I become. I will actually become more like Jesus. It's simple spiritual formation. That's what we are about here, becoming an all-in follower of Jesus. We become like him. And the biblical word for what I'm talking about is simply repentance. Now, sometimes when I hear that word repentance, I think of an 
angry preacher holding up a Bible and screaming, repent, you bunch of sinners. There's probably a, a, I mean, that's not, anyway, that's, the word repent, metanoia in the New Testament simply means to change your mind, to change your mind. That's what Jesus is asking us to do over and over. He's just saying, you need to see where your mind is believing things that aren't true and you need to change it. You need to line it up with my mental map for your life. You need to become more like me. That's what this series is about. How do we over and over and over again continue to turn our life until our life looks more and more like Jesus because we have bought in to his mental map of all of reality? All right, let's just get personal and practical. What are the lies that you believe? It's really easy to see the lies that other people believe. It's a lot more difficult to see the lies that you believe. The great theologian and philosopher George Costanza once said, remember, Jerry, it's not a lie if you believe it. Isn't that true? The best lies are the ones that we think are true. That's why I'm gonna ask that question again. What are the lies that you believe? I would be happier if I had a different spouse. My value as a person is measured by what I have. This life is about experiencing all the pleasure that we can. I am not good enough. I don't have what it takes. I'm just a poser and I'm really deeply insecure. That person, those people don't deserve to be forgiven. I can't do anything right. I am a failure. That person will never come to faith in Christ. I would be more loved and valued if I looked differently. I hate how I look. It's okay to walk as close to sin as I can, as long as I don't cross the line. I don't need people to walk with Jesus. I can do this on my own. Just Jesus and me. I can't be forgiven. I've gone too far. There's no hope of redemption for me. I will never be free from my past mistakes. If people really knew me and what I was struggling with, they would reject me. I'm sure I am the only one that is dealing with this. My sin is not as serious as other people's. I don't have what it takes to lead in this church. I need to keep my sin hidden. It would be too costly to confess what is going on in my life to God and to others. I don't need to become an all-in follower of Jesus. My life is pretty good and I don't want to miss out on the fun in this life. I'll give Jesus some life, but not all of it. My pain and suffering in this life is God punishing me. He's obviously angry with me, and if he really loved me, 
my life would be easier and comfortable. I can never change. I will always struggle with fear, anxiety, depression, lust, addiction, pride, greed, selfishness, insecurity, comparison. This spiritual family doesn't need my contribution and sacrifice. There are so many people that I am not really necessary. If I'm completely forgiven, then it doesn't really matter if I sin. I could live however I want. Good things don't happen to me, so why even try to be successful? My best days are behind me. If anyone actually knew me, they would reject me. If it makes me happy and doesn't hurt other people, it's probably right. What are the lies that you believe? I'm going to get really, really practical. I'm going to give you an assignment. I hope that you take it seriously. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Sometime this week, I want you to carve out at least 30 minutes of time, uninterrupted time, where you can be in the quietness of your own life as best you can. And I want you to be there with a pen and something to write on. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand before God and just pray to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who the scripture calls the spirit of truth, and just say, Holy Spirit of truth, Will you reveal to me the lies that I'm believing? And just wait. And just wait and just see if there's thoughts that come to your mind. Maybe repeated thoughts that have been on playback over and over in your mind. And begin to write those things down and evaluating, are those true in terms of how God defines truth? Maybe a place to start, like I don't want it to seem like super nebulous, but maybe sometimes if there's, if there's a place of strong emotion in your life, maybe there's fear or there's anxiety or there's anger, just ask the Holy Spirit to review, like, what, what, is, what is the source of that? Where's that coming from? Are there lies that I might be believing in and around that to help surface those things in your life? Another thing that I think is really, really helpful is just to open up the scriptures, just open up the New Testament of the Bible. Just read the life and ministry of Jesus or the writings of the apostles and just begin to read that. And here's what's gonna happen to you. Eventually, you're gonna bump up against something that you read that you just say, ugh, I don't like that. I don't agree with that. It just means that there's some way in your life that isn't lined up with the truth, the mental map, of Jesus and begin to ask yourself, what might be the lie that I'm believing that makes me not like what I'm reading there? Just some ways to begin to surface these things in your life. This is a worthwhile exercise. You know, I, the advantage of getting to teach on this stuff is you get a chance to kind of live in it for a season of time. And getting to do this exercise, I not only did this for a long time, personally with myself, but I actually did it with a group of guys that we meet with regularly. And I just said, could we just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us? And we just took quiet time together for about 10 or 15 minutes. And then we just began to discuss the things that God was surfacing in our mind and began to speak God's truth 
over those lies that we're believing. It's a simple process, but it's got to happen if we're gonna change because our beliefs determine our behavior and they determine who we're gonna become. One of the things that surfaced a couple of weeks ago in my life, I was on a retreat with a group of pastors and, and leaders from all but myself and one other guy. It was a, a big group of guys that were from a very large church over on the East Coast. And when I say a large, I'm talking like tens of thousands of people. And their lead pastor was there and just kind of subtly in my own spirit, I don't even think I had these conscious thoughts, but I just like thought, man, I, I don't have what it takes. Man, I, I am not as smart as that guy. I'm not as gifted as that guy. I'm not as strategic as that guy. And I just started to feel less than and less than and less than. And it wasn't until I was doing this process that it actually came to me. Like this was a lie that I was believing. And I just said, you know, I, I just had to remind and tell myself what was the truth. And remind myself about how God called me here. This wasn't a this wasn't something that I dreamt of my whole life. Suddenly, I kind of came in the back door in certain ways. It just wasn't something I was planning on, but God led me here, and I just had to remind myself of the truth, like, God, you have me here, and I'm enough. Whatever I have to bring to the table is enough, God, because you made me. One of the, and so that, that, was, that just settled, settled my soul in that truth. But here's what's, what God did for, oh, man, I'm gonna get emotional what God did for me in the midst of that. There was some exercises that we would do as a large group. And uh, one of the things we did the last day is every one of us that was there had to share a little bit. What is one thing that I'm going to take away and one thing that I'm going to leave behind? You know, and I just kept thinking about how I didn't measure up to this. Path. I'm just thinking like tens of thousands of people. And it's like, I don't even know that I would want that. It's like, I know how I'm wired. And it's like, Rather than having thousands of people, I just want to talk to one person. I want to know every person's story. I want to know what's going on in their life. I just want to love the individual well. That spirit of Jesus that says, go after the one and leave the 99, I just feel like that's in me. That's what I value. So you're just thinking about thousands of people. But as we went and did this exercise, the lead pastor of this church was one of the last ones to share. And he said, this is what I'm going to take away. From this time, he said, during this week, I've just had a lot of time to watch Bob. And I'm kind of sitting on the other side of the room, and I was like, oh, great. What is, but he said, I just, I just watched how he interacted with the guys that were here. And he said, these aren't even guys from his church. But I just watched how he wanted to hear their story. He wanted to know what was going on in their life. And when things got hard, he didn't lean away. He leaned in. And he said, I just watched how he listened to people when they shared and he said, I just, I just sensed his love for them. And he said, I'm taking away a picture of the pastor that I want to be someday. And I was just like, oh my gosh. Now, I, I, trust me, I don't share that to try to toot my horn. I want to toot God's horn because he knew what I needed to hear. He knew that I needed to hear, like, you're okay. You're okay just how you are, just where you are. You don't need to be like him. And that's the truth. And I needed to hear that truth. Because what can happen if I let that lie fester in my life? You know, if, if that lie festers in my life, I start to believe that I'm not good enough. And then the criticism that comes at this role, and it comes a lot. Every one of those things, I would just say, that's just proof. That's just proof that I'm not supposed to be here. 
Or I would just double down and say, I've got to become somebody else. I've got to be like him. And I would just be a facade and a poser of someone that I wasn't created to be. But God just said, you're okay. Just be yourself. And that was just one of the lies that I was believing. And it was powerful to cover that with truth. I have a whole journal of other lies that I'm believing. And I'm going to keep processing them because that's what this series is about. How do we figure out where our life is not aligned to the mental map of Jesus. And we're gonna do everything we can to say, Jesus, I'm all in with you. I'm gonna shape everything in my life to be more like you. This is a spiritual formation series. How does our life change? Beliefs, behavior changes who we become. Let's pray. Jesus, we need you. We need your truth. Jesus, you said, I am the truth. I'm the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the life of the Father apart from you. We are believing that in this moment, in our quietness with you, in the power of your Holy Spirit, that you will release and reveal the lies that we're believing that have us in bondage right now. We're gonna trust you to move. Not just today, not just this week, but throughout this series until you come back. Jesus, we want to align our lives with you. We want to be all in followers of you. And it's in your powerful and resurrected name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net slash give. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.